Welcome to A Little Bit Unstoppable. This podcast is for artists, creators, and changemakers in any industry who have powerful ideas that might just change the world, or at least a small piece of it. My name is Brielle Goheen, and I'm a clarity coach for creatives. I help people declutter their minds, declutter their physical and digital spaces, and most importantly, declutter their dreams and hack their habits so that the most important things become the easiest to do. I believe that creativity will change the world. So I want to equip you to release your creativity with power in a way that is effortless and sustainable. One of the small, simple ways that I do this is through my weekly newsletter, Unstoppable Bit by Bit. If you'd like to receive encouragement, inspiration, and some more personal stories, head over to briellegoheen.com to sign up. Without further ado, let's get started with today's episode. I'm going to interrupt my regularly scheduled podcast content again today. If you've been listening since the beginning, you might remember that I did this several weeks ago because uh, it seemed important to share at that time from a current space about how this whole a little bit unstoppable stuff, how it really feels in real life and in real time. So last time I interrupted the scheduled episodes to talk from a current place about when life suddenly gets unexpectedly busy and overwhelming and you begin to feel just stuck, like you can't get moving because life is kind of trapping you in. So I shared my strategies and my formula for how to get unstuck again in those moments. And I shared a bunch of examples on practical things that you can do to begin getting going again. So if you want to check that out, it was eight weeks ago in episode four, which is called, How Do I Get Unstuck? I do think it's important to keep interrupting my plan to talk about and to share from moments in my life when things go awry, because that's just part of life. Plans get interrupted and things go off course, and that's just inevitable. It's going to happen, and it's going to happen often. But the question is, what are you going to do when that happens? Not if that happens. What are you going to do when that happens? Because the only thing you need in order to be completely unstoppable is to be a tiny, little, 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 little bit unstoppable. So when things happen that do halt you in your tracks or stop you for a time, it's so important to remember that any small act of moving forward is all that it takes to be unstoppable. So today I'm interrupting the plan because something really sad happened in my family. My granddad, who I talked about on the podcast just a few weeks ago, the one who learned Photoshop in his 70s and made 17 books for his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren with photos and stories to connect us to each other and also to our ancestors. He passed away last week uh, at 94 and a half years old. 
he was just an amazing man in so many ways. And on his final day in the hospital, he actually finished his 18th book for all of us. It's really how anybody would want to go. Doing things that he was passionate about, surrounded by people that loved him of sound mind right until the end. Death is an interruption, and it should interrupt. It should slow us down. It should cause us to stop and reflect, to remember, to grieve the loss, to ask questions and connect with people that we love. And it should remind us to really live while we're here. But it takes time and it takes intention to do those things. And that extra time and mental space doesn't just appear. We have to make space for it. So as I was trying my best this past week to make space in my life for this unexpected loss, to do those things, to grieve and to reflect and to be present with my family, who of course all came in for the funeral, I kept this one question at the forefront of my mind to help me create that space. When is good enough good enough? It's a question that I first heard from the author Juliet Funt. She wrote a fantastic book called A Minute to Think. In the book, she talks about how prioritizing white space is one of the most important ingredients to living well. Because without white space in our schedules, in our lives, in our minds, our greatest strengths will become our greatest weaknesses. She specifically lists four strengths and how they can turn sour when they're pursued with, without enough margin for other things. The four strengths are drive, excellence, a love for gathering information, and a capacity for activity. So when these things are pursued too single-mindedly and without margin, without white space, drive becomes overdrive. Excellence becomes perfectionism. A love for gathering information becomes information overload and a capacity for activity becomes frenzy. In her book, she provides four questions, a question for each of those strength-weakness combinations to help people begin to create margin, to begin to create white space in their lives so that our strengths don't become our weaknesses. I'm going to give you all four of them, but then I'm going to talk about the one that was surfacing for me again and again this past week. So if your greatest strength is your drive, the danger is that it could become overdrive. So the question you want to ask yourself whenever you feel yourself in that danger zone where your ambition or your drive is starting to take over more of your life than you'd like, the question is, is there anything I can let go of? Maybe you don't have to do it all. Maybe life will go on just fine if something doesn't get done or if you delegate things to other people. 
So is there anything that you can let go of to keep your drive in check? If your greatest strength is your love of gathering information, if you're the quintessential scientist, but you feel yourself going off the edge of the cliff of information overload, where you aren't able to act anymore, and you're almost paralyzed by all the information at hand, ask yourself the question, what do I truly need to know right now? There are two opportunities to stop trapping yourself with information. The need, what do I need to know in order to keep going and make good informed decisions on difficult things. And then there's also the timeline. What do I need to know right now? What can wait until later? What's the exact question that needs to be answered right now? And what's a question for tomorrow? If your greatest strength is your capacity for activity and you're remarkably able to handle the movement from one thing to the next without very much rest in between, then ask yourself the question, what deserves my attention? So chances are that if you're capable of a high pace of activity, you'll be called on from so many people to do and to do and to do until you find that you have nothing left. And no one means to do it. They just see how capable you are and so they give you more things to do. And you handle it because you can, until you can't. So what deserves your attention? Don't ask, what am I capable of handling? Because the answer to that question is, you're capable of handling far more than you should. But instead, what deserves your attention? What's worthwhile spending your precious time and energy on? Because even though you have an enormous capacity for activity, you'll fall into frenzied activity if you try to do everything. And you'll find that the things that most deserve your time and attention don't get what they deserve, while other things that you really don't care about get far more than they deserve. Because when you're in a state of frenzy, you don't have the white space to take a second to actually differentiate between the two. So what deserves your attention? I saved this one, this next one for last because this is the one that I resonate with the most. If your greatest strength is excellence, it really has a tendency to tip over into perfectionism quite easily. You want to do a good job of everything you set your hand to. Maybe it's even part of your identity. Maybe you grew up being praised for always doing your very best or being the best. And maybe you give everything your full attention and it bothers you when you can tell that other people aren't doing that, when they aren't fully present, when they aren't doing their best. You may have noticed that I've said everything a few times and that's key. People who are addicted to excellence need to have everything in their lives be excellent. And that takes time. That takes so much time. It takes far more time to do everything with excellence than any person actually has. The truth is that life is just full of trade-offs. If you want to be the best in the world at something, the trade-off is usually that you basically have to give up almost everything else. 
So for everything that you do with excellence, even if you're not the best in the world, but you just do it with excellence, there are things that are not going to get any time and attention. So the question for excellence seekers who tend to veer into perfectionism and perfectionism in everything is this. When is good enough good enough? This pursuit of excellence turning into perfectionism has been part of me for as long as I can remember. I really like doing things well. I like being dependable. I like knowing that I'm contributing at my highest capacity. But it can get to an ugly place. When I was in university, I was studying classical violin performance. It's a tough degree, and I was doing it in the context of a liberal arts education as well. And so that meant that I had a full load of elective classes as well. So it was like a specialized degree, but I was doing it in the context where I also had a lot of, a lot of coursework that wasn't related to my degree at all. So even in the midst of all of this other coursework, I was committed to spending eight hours every day in the practice rooms by myself, being exacting with my technique. And sometimes that would mean repeating just a couple of notes over and over again for an hour just to get it right. Some people can do this without losing themselves to it, but I couldn't. I remember in my third year of university, my sisters, who are both violinists as well, they came to visit and we played background music for an hour at an event together. And at that time, I was at the height of my intense self-criticism. When I was in the practice rooms, I was literally practicing these brain loops of noticing the slightest thing that I didn't like and going back and correcting myself over and over again until it was literally perfect. And then going on and stopping at the next imperfection and fixing that one methodically and then going to the next one and fixing that until I had no more time left in my day. I rarely stopped just to love what I was playing and just drink it in. I treated myself more like a drill sergeant, training myself for battle against myself. And so I was my own enemy and I would just be disgusted with myself when I couldn't execute a piece of technique the way that I could hear it in my head or the way that other people could. Seth Godin says, we don't actually remember what we read or hear or see. We remember what we rehearse. And I was rehearsing a joyless brain loop of excellence. Not to say that there weren't moments of joy because there always were. And I loved the things that I was learning. I mean, if I, if I didn't love it, I wouldn't have committed myself to this level of excellence. But even so, in those hours in the practice room, I was rehearsing a joyless brain loop. And so when I re was removed from this environment of the practice room, I didn't just forget that. It was what I had rehearsed. And so when I went to play this event with my sisters, one of them made a tiny error and she kind of giggled. And I looked at her with the same disgust that I looked at myself with in the practice rooms when I would make mistakes. And then my other sister made a mistake and kind of looked up with smiley eyes 
<laughs> you can hear some people in the background. I'm going to leave that in because this is part of my anti-perfectionism. There's a lot of activity going on in the house right now as I, as I record this. So my other sister made, an, made a mistake and she looked up and she was kind of smiling because it was a funny little crunchy moment. And I just shot daggers from my eyes at her. And I made the whole event as miserable for them as I was in my practice room practice sessions. And so needless to say, my siblings are literally some of the very best humans that I know. And so they didn't let me get away with it. On the drive home, they let me know what I was becoming. And they called me some choice names, <laughs> which were 100% true. And it took me a little while to realize that they were right because at the beginning, my first self-righteous thought was that they just didn't care. They just didn't care about excellence the way that I did. And that conversation in the car on the way home, their boldness in correcting me and calling out what they were seeing completely changed the trajectory of my life. It was because of that conversation that I realized I was losing who I truly wanted to be in relationship with other people. I wanted to be a person that anyone could be comfortable being truly themselves around. I wanted to just embody full acceptance. And I was losing that part of myself completely accidentally, completely unintentionally in pursuit of a rigid view of excellence, even an excellence that's not based in any kind of reality. It took another decade for me to realize and unpractice treating myself with that same hatred of failures or hatred of weakness and mistakes. And per to be perfectly honest, it's an ongoing process. But that moment, it helped me begin the process of detangling myself from that rigid excellence. I dialed back the intensity of my practice in my final year of university and I decided to pursue music in a way that brought me joy. So I turned to things like fiddle music, electronic music, and singing. I tell this part of my story mainly to illustrate how deeply that streak of perfectionism goes in me. It's a part of my identity that I'm constantly trying to disentangle so that excellence can just be excellence, so that it can just be good, so that excellence isn't who I am. It's not synonymous with Brielle, that I can be bad at things and still be worthwhile, that I can choose areas of excellence and times to be excellent and let go of the rest and just be average. So this past week, my perfectionism reared its ugly head. I had a schedule and I had deadlines for my projects and I had my beautifully planned little day planner pages with exactly what I knew I could handle every day because I've kind of figured that out, what I can handle doing every day. And I try not to overload myself. So it was very, you know, perfectly done. And as grief and other important, meaningful, unexpected things slowed me down this week, I recognized my perfectionism. I wanted to keep my perfect schedule. I wanted to keep my perfect deadlines and my perfect day planner days. And I wanted to keep my sadness perfectly contained. 
And I wanted to keep myself perfectly present in my conversations with my loved ones and my family, everybody that was coming to my home. And I wanted to have all of the contingency plans for, perfectly foreseen for work and for the funeral and to have the perfect backup plans and options on hand. But it just isn't possible to do that many things with excellence. I'm so thankful that this week I was equipped with that question from Juliet Funt. When is good enough good enough? And so over half of the things on my schedule from last week didn't get done. And I'm not going to pretend that I felt good about that because I didn't. There was a meeting that I had to cancel that I had been looking forward to for months. And there was no way of rescheduling it perfectly with everyone. And there was a last minute rush to Walmart before the funeral because, of course, there was a piece of the plan that I had foreseen. And I didn't enjoy that either. But I had the tools to know that I had to actively work at giving myself and other people imperfect grace over the week. So I said good enough more times than I'd care to admit. And you know what? It was. It was good enough. And it is good enough. So looking forward into this coming week, I'm pretty certain that these things won't be perfectly contained into one week. (laughs) It's not like last week, that was the sad week, and this week will be fine. There's going to be overflow. And I'll have to keep asking myself, when is good enough good enough? So whatever your strength is, if it's drive, if it's excellence, if it's a love of gathering information, if it's a capacity for activity, and whatever the related weakness is, if it's overdrive, if it's perfectionism, if it's information overload, or if it's frenzy, just remember the questions to begin asking yourself so that you can give yourself the white space that you need to keep going however slowly, however gently, without getting stuck in the muck of whatever your tendency is. So if your tendency is overdrive, ask yourself, is there anything I can let go of? If your tendency is, like me, perfectionism, ask yourself, when is good enough good enough? And leave it there. If your tendency is information overload, ask yourself, what do I need to know right now? And if your tendency is frenzy, ask yourself, what truly deserves my attention? Life happens. (laughs) And it's never predictable. It's never neat. So I never want you to think that in these podcast episodes that I'm coming from a place where I've figured it all out and I'm here to preach optimal productivity in every circumstance. It's just not like that. Instead, I'm figuring things out as I go and I'm learning so much along the way. And I just want to share with you everything that I've learned and everything that I'm learning because life is complicated and it's difficult and it takes a community of support to keep going when things get tough. I'm rooting for you.
I know we can do it. All it takes is that tiny piece of you to keep going. And that's what will make you a little bit unstoppable. It takes bravery and it takes courage to walk the artistic path. And we need to support and encourage each other as much as possible. If you found this episode helpful, consider sharing it with a friend or leaving a review in your favorite podcast listening app. And don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already so that you'll be notified each time a new episode is up. Remember, the worlds we imagine are the worlds we build. So ambitious creators, imagine something beautiful and take the next step, no matter how small, toward building it.